Welcome to In the Sticks, a podcast about something, nothing, and everything all at once. Hope you guys had a good couple of weeks. Uh, I took last week off because the kids had a virtual day, and the boy had a bunch of homework that it took both of us about half a day to complete. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but let's just not go there. Um, so yeah, a lot going on in the past couple weeks. Uh, Joe Biden was... Inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States, and probably my favorite thing that's happened in a very long time, at least since last summer, hockey is back. Thank goodness. It actually started on the 13th. I'm a big fan of the Dallas Stars, so they actually didn't start until uh, Friday night. They had to wait about a, a week longer because they got the COVID. They got the bug going around the team. So they had to take a few extra days off, but they finally started. Uh, they started their season Friday night, and the defending Western Conference champions came back and whooped up on Nashville Friday night. They beat them seven to nothing. Then they won last night three to two. So off, off to a good start for my stars. I'm super excited that hockey is back. Uh, one of my favorite pastimes. So thank goodness for that. Really not a whole lot more to report on from the home front. We talked to our loan officer last week a few times and throughout conversation. You know, when we when the appraiser came out and appraised our land, we didn't ask for a copy of the appraisal report. Um, they... They basically sent their report to the lender. The lender told how, told us how much they could give us, and it was nowhere near enough, and we were kind of scratching our heads about it. And so we, when we got a copy of the appraisal, we looked it over really good, and we realized that they valued our land at about $55,000 less than what we paid for it just six months ago. <laughs> so we were a little bit surprised by that, and so we reached out to our lender, and we said, hey, this can't be right. We, you know, we just, we just paid $55,000 more for the land six months ago than what they just valued it at, that, that there's something wrong here. And so she disputed the appraisal and the appraiser basically said, I ain't changing it, which is not uncommon. Usually if, if you get an appraiser to come out and do a report, they're going to stick by the report. There's not, there's not too many appraisers out there that are going to change it simply because you dispute it, unless you bring up a material fact that they overlooked, um, just just by saying, hey, we think it's worth more, they're, they're typically not going to change their their appraisal. You can, you can request a different appraiser, but after we caught the fact that there was such a discrepancy between what we paid for the property, uh, you know, last summer and, and what they said it was worth just a few weeks ago, we got our closing disclosure from when we purchased the land and we sent it to the lender, and they sent that to the appraisal company and basically said, fix it. So um, we haven't been told definitively that we're good to go, but reading between the lines, it looks like everything's going to be okay. So hopefully we'll get closed on the loan here pretty soon. We went ahead and pulled our permits last week, so we'll have those ready to go uh, by the time we close on the loan. And so when we close, we can hit the ground running. So that's where we stand on that. Rosie is getting big. She's uh, she's about the size of Charlie now. She's growing like a weed. And she's actually a really good puppy. She doesn't chew on a lot of stuff that she's not supposed to chew on. And if she does start to chew on something like, uh, you know, a blanket or 
um, a piece of furniture or something, you know, a kid's toy that she's not supposed to be chewing on. We stop her right away and we give her like a bone or, or a toy, something that she is allowed to chew on. And that seems to have worked pretty efficiently because she doesn't try to go after things she's not supposed to go after now. Our biggest problem with her right now is she's already like a teenager. She's not, she doesn't listen to us at all. <laughs> we'll let her outside and she'll go outside and her, she'll do her business. She'll come up on the porch and stare at the door like she's ready to come in. You open the door and she just like turns around as she ma- maintains eye contact and starts to walk away. And so then we have to go chase her down and drag her back inside. But I'm sure that's something she'll get over sooner than later. It actually hasn't been a problem today because it's raining and she doesn't want to be outside in the rain. So, so anyways, yeah, so <laughs> she's a good pup. Uh, we love her to death. She's so soft. It's incredible. Hopefully she, once she sheds her puppy coat, she'll be just as soft. But yeah, I have a pretty short episode for you guys today. I was made aware of the youngest serial killer ever and... My stepmom actually sent me the information about it, so I, I looked her up and I did some, or I looked him up rather, and did some research, and it's pretty incredible. Uh, which it really gets you to thinking, you know, are serial killers born? Are they born with some sort of biological makeup that causes them to do the things that they do, or is it their, is it their environmental factors as they are growing up and entering in their adolescence and into adulthood that creates this? mentality that it's okay to do what they're doing um and so i think by the end of this we're still not going to have an answer but it really makes you think about about serial killers being born as opposed to being made so i got my information from a couple of different articles one of the articles is called modern serial killers it was written by kevin haggerty in a in a uh, publication called crime media and culture and the other one is called Using Behavior Sequence Analysis to Map as Serial Killer's Life History. And the authors on that one are Keatley, Golightly, Shepard, Axic, and Reed. So we will uh, we'll explore this briefly. So like I said, my stepmom sent me um, the name of the youngest serial killer ever to exist. But before before we get into that... Like I said, I'm going to kind of go over these two articles I just mentioned to get you thinking a little bit about whether or not serial killers are born or if they're made. So some people claim that serial killers are, they've been around for as long as the human race has been around, but they've only really been studied and talked about in the past century or 200 years or so because of media, because of mass media and the ability to distribute information and collect information from other parts of the the region, the country, and the world. Most of this coverage is usually based off of a few widely accepted theories theories, uh, about serial killers. One of these theories is that serial killers, um, the crimes that they commit, they're so far outside of the realm of our understanding Uh, that we just can't even comprehend them, right? The killers themselves are so emotionally and psychologically disturbed that a normal normal person like you or me would never comprehend the drive behind whatever it is that causes these killers to do what they do. And that segues into another theory that most serial killers are sexually motivated and that they kill to satisfy their most carnal desires, and that's mainly true for male serial killers, but not usually for female serial killers. So when you consider these these two themes together, 
you know, I think about Andre Chikatilo, who we talked about on a previous episode. He killed over 50 boys, girls, and women over about a 12-year period of time. And almost all the victims had wounds that were consistent with Chikatilo using some sort of sharp object to perform a sexual act on his victims. After his capture, uh, Chikatilo, he admitted to the police that uh, the only way that he could really get sexual gratification was to kill somebody. You know, if you remember his story, he had a hard, he had a hard time um, keeping his flag at full mast, if you know what I'm saying, during his first sexual encounter. But um, she made fun of him, so he, he essentially threw her to the ground and became physically aggressive with her. And doing this, you know, that gave him sexual gratification. And so from that point forward, Andre associated this physical violence with sexual gratification. And according to Psychology Today, Ted Bundy, who we haven't covered yet on this, on this show, he killed his victims for sexual arousal as well. Chikatilo, he, he grew up dirt poor in a communist country, likely witnessing his mother being raped by German soldiers during their occupation in World War II. He, he suffered from a medical condition from birth that caused him to basically wet the bed, and it, and it created problems with him maintaining an erection for his entire life. But Ted Bundy, he was born to a single mother, he di- he, you know, so he didn't have the nuclear family setting, but he grew up thinking that his grandparents were actually his parents, and his mother was his older sister, and it was that way until he was about four years old. But other than that, um, he seemed to have a pretty normal childhood. He moved from Philadelphia to Tacoma with his biological mother when he was four, who, who obviously he thought was his sister at the time. His mom met and married a man by the name of John Bundy, and, and John adopted Ted, which changed Ted's last name to Bundy. But he wouldn't find out until later in life that his older sister, who, he, who, who raised him, was actually his mother, and that his, 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 who he thought was his parents were actually his grandparents. But that was well after the fact. Coming up through his childhood, he didn't know any of this, and, and he, he otherwise had a pretty normal childhood. And, and for no apparent reasons, um, he, would, he would walk the streets as he became an older child, but before he was an adolescent, he would walk the streets of the neighborhoods at night looking through trash um, in attempts to find pictures of naked women. And he would even go up to houses where the windows were uncovered, in an attempt to catch a glimpse of a woman undressing. But there's real no contextual explanation for this behavior. It just started one day. So while Andre's childhood might provide some sort of explanation as to why he eventually did what he did, Ted Bundy's does not. When you look at, you know, your standard homicide, which I know it seems weird calling it that, but when you look at your average your average homicide, it's not usually... A persistent psychological condition that seemingly forces them to repeat the behavior. Now, sometimes it's an act of passion. Sometimes it's part of, uh, you know, like the greater crime. Like, you know, they kill someone during a robbery or a home invasion, something like that. And and sometimes people who commit murder are mentally disturbed, but they are caught and they're incarcerated before that they can do it anymore. But the true psychopath 
they earn the trust of their victims over a period of time before they kill them, and they continue to commit these acts without any sort of remorse. They're just a completely different breed. But how did they get to that point? In the paper by Keatley and the other uh, and the other authors, they found that 54% of serial killers that they studied, they suffered abuse by their parents as a child. And also, about one-third of serial killers that they studied moved around a lot as kids. And just under half of the, of the serial killers that they looked at moved outside of their nuclear families by the time they were 18 years old. As far as biological factors are concerned, these authors found that about 10% of serial killers that they studied had head injuries. Another 10% were on the autism spectrum. In many instances, mothers of these serial killers rejected them as children, and they were hateful towards them. Three-quarters of the killers had previous convictions of criminal activity, including about half of them being arrested as juveniles. Keatley and the others, they also used statistics like these from serial killers' backgrounds to create a, a temporal sequence of events, like a timeline, to try to explain or at least develop some sort of common trend amongst uh, biological and social factors that led to serial killers doing what they did. And what they found was that in a small number of the cases, the father abandoned the family before the future killer was even born. So he never he grew up never knowing his father or perhaps even who his father was. The most common uh, childhood of the serial killers um, that they looked at uh, consisted of an abusive household, so they were often beaten as children. Many of them were of the lower socioeconomical threshold, so they grew up in poor living conditions more often than not. And another common denominator was sexual assault of the would-be killer when they were a child. So Keatley and his peers essentially argue that the the biological predispositions combined with environmental context eventually molds a killer into being a serial killer. Haggerty, on the other hand, argues that many serial killers are made by the environment. For instance, he argues that the mass media uh, glorifying and, and sort of giving fame to these serial killers helps to fuel their inhibitions. Anonymity um, is another thing that Haggerty points out, and as a whole it plays a factor uh, essentially meaning that you have a higher probability of disappearing someone from this earth without anyone noticing, um, at least for a significant period of time, because there's just there's so many people out there who don't have anybody. <laughs> they won't have anybody notice that they're missing. Um, and these are often the, the type of people that serial killers will target, you know, prostitutes and people like that. People are more separated from traditional values, and that combined with the fact that certain people who live outside the frame, framework of cultural norms, again, like prostitutes, it makes it more justifiable for the killers in their mind. So um, as a culture, we've kind of diminished the value of these people's human lives. So these serial killers see that as an opportunity to take them away from us. So you have Keatley and his crew out there sort of providing an explanation of how serial killers are... They are born a little bit with, with um, some sort of biological factor that contributes to them becoming serial killers, but they, they are eventually you know pushed over the edge by the environment that they grow up in. Um, but, and then you have Haggerty, who's basically explaining how 
serial killers are almost solely created and fueled by social factors. And one of these sort, sort of explains Andre Chikatilo, and, and the other one kind of explains Ted Bundy. So all of that is to say that there probably isn't one single explanation of how serial killers grow up to do what they do. But what is ultimately true, what it ultimately boils down to, is that they're, they're sociopaths. They have no conscience, regardless of whether or not they know what they're doing is wrong. It's just not real clear how they get to the point, because there's a lot of sociopaths out there who are not serial killers. They are able to live and function in society like every everybody else. Um, so so the question is kind of, you know, what, what seems to push the serial killers over the edge? And I don't know that there's a, a single solitary answer. But the reason why I, I looked up these articles and I did a little bit more reading is because what my stepmom sent me was the story of... Armadeep Sada. His story isn't short simply because he has a short list of victims. He only he only killed three. But his story is short because um, he did his killing and was arrested by the time he was nine years old. That's right, nine. And there's really, there's really not a lot of information out here um, about him or his background, his upbringing, because he's still early in his upbringing, which is just blows my mind. So uh, all the information that I got was from telegraphindia.com, a new source out of India. That's where Armadeep was born and committed his crimes. Um, they write, he's just eight years old, but his neighbors claim that he's already claimed three lives. At his village, residents have started calling him a mini serial killer. While police remain bewildered to the reason, medical experts call Armadeep Sada's need a conduct disorder. Sada, eight years old, a resident of Bhagwanpur in India, yesterday killed a girl who was one years old, the neighbor's daughter, by smashing her face with a brick. Sada, son of a laborer at Manavpur in Musahari village, reported, reportedly had also killed his one-year-old cousin and his six-month-old sister in a similar fashion previously. There is, however, no official confirmation that the first two uh, killings did actually occur. However, family members and local villagers acknowledged the killings but never reported them to officials claiming that they were a family matter. The article goes on to say that the police station officers confirmed that Sada killed the baby while playing. The boy allegedly told the police, I killed the baby by beating her with a brick. The police arrested the boy and sent him to a remand home. According to the police sources, the boy took the girl from the primary school where she was when her mother left to do some chores and went to a nearby field with the baby. There he laid the baby on the grass and started smashing her face repeatedly. There was no one around. Her cries could not have been heard. When she died, Sada covered the body with grass and leaves and came back to his house. Late in the evening, her relatives found the baby dead. It was then that the residents of the village summoned the police and handed the boy over to him. The boy's parents fled the village before the police came. While speaking to the police, Residents admitted that they were extra careful around Sada, especially after he had killed his sister and his cousin. They added that Kushbu, the most recent victim, her mother paid a heavy price for letting her guard down, even for a brief while. The superintendent of police, Amit Loda, said that after completing the preliminary formalities, we have handed the matter to the court. We will hear from the court who will be responsible for providing medical assistance to the accused. 
Loda added, we will also request the court to provide a separate ward for this boy so he does not harm other juvenile delinquents staying at the remand home. He, however, stressed that the police as of yet had no confirmation of the two previous killings that the villagers had accused the boy of. Medical experts' opinions state that the boy might be suffering from what is known as conduct disorder, a mental state wherein a patient feels a sense of gratification after inflicting injuries on others. Nand Kumar, a psychotherapist with the All India Institution of Medical Sciences, said, Such cases need immediate medical intervention. Doctors need to address the chemical imbalance in patients' brains. Kumar added that while such cases are not rare, the intensity of Sada's action was a dangerous symptom. Such aggression may be hereditary and may be caused because of great chemical upheavals in the brain. So there you go. That's the article from the Indian transcript. Um, as you can tell, obviously the medical experts in this case who spoke in this article believe that Sada had some sort of chemical imbalance. He's just so young and so inexperienced that life... It's just too early on for him to have been influenced by social factors, so they, they obviously think that he has some sort of chemical imbalance in his brain uh, that gives him satisfaction from harming other people. Sada killed his victims in 2006 and 2007, and he was placed into what essentially amounts to a home for delinquent kids. Since he was a juvenile, uh, when he committed these crimes... The, location, the exact location that he was taken to was unknown, and also because he was only eight years old, he couldn't legally be tried as an adult, which means that on his 18th birthday in 2016, he was likely released back into society, and his whereabouts to this day are unknown. It's believed that he probably changed his name to Samarjit to help protect his privacy. So that's it. There you have this short story of Armadeep Sada. Uh, three victims, six months... Eight months and a year old, he killed his sister, his cousin, and one of the neighbor kids when his mom, or I'm sorry, when her mom left her sleeping at the school. You have to believe that there's some sort of biological predisposition in this kid's head to cause him to do what he did, suggesting that the serial killer, at least in this case, uh, was born. Granted, he was he was likely poor. Uh, there isn't enough known about his home life, nor had enough time gone by to determine if environmental factors had contributed to this sort of behavior. Uh, you know, the police, what, what's really kind of, you know, it shows you he, he doesn't know right from wrong, and he really had no revo- remorse um, when the police were interviewing him and trying to determine kind of what his mental state was. They said that he just looked at him and smiled and asked for a biscuit. I mean, I can't even imagine. My son is eight years old, so now I'm probably going to be sleeping with like one eye open, ready to fight him off because I don't know what he's going to do to me in the middle of the night. No, just kidding. My boy's very sweet. He wouldn't do anything like that. But you know, it gets it gets you thinking. Um, man, I just I just can't imagine. Eight years old, he killed three babies. How how does he even how does he even have that in his brain? What his what has he been exposed to to even give him the idea? You know what I'm saying? Just a quick note before I go, you might get on um, and see that several of my shows have been removed. That was me. <laughs> uh, they weren't taken down. I didn't get censored. Uh, nothing like that. I just, um, you know, I feel like I need to be a little bit more uh, careful, a little bit nor- more neutral with, with what I'm posting out there for, for people to listen to for your entertainment. Um, 
there's just a lot going on right now, and I think I got a little emotionally hijacked with everything that was going on um, as, as far as politics, and I really don't want this to be a political show. Uh, you know, this is something that I do for fun, and then when I start getting fired up talking about politics, it's not fun anymore. It just makes me angry, so I'm going to try to stay away from that as much as I can unless something just absolutely ridiculous happens that I have to talk about. Um, so yeah, so you, you won't hear uh, much of that from me anymore. I'm going to stick to the basics and hopefully cross your fingers and your toes and whatever else you can cross. Hopefully, by the time I talk to you next week, we have a closing date on our loan. Wish us luck. But for now, that's all I have. God bless you all, and God bless America.